Welcome, everyone. Great to have you with us here at the Floating Church. A special welcome if you're here for the first time. Um, instead of our regular lunchtime Bible talks, this week is a special event. And uh, what we're going to do is we normally interview someone and then there's a talk. Tonight, today, we're going to do it slightly differently. I'm just going to hand over to our special guest in a moment. He's going to speak to us for about 20, 25 minutes. And then there will be five or 10 minutes for Q&A from the floor. So listen carefully. If there's something you want to pick him up on and ask a question, you will have a chance to do that at the end. So you may have seen on the publicity, um, our get, special guest today is advertised as drug dealer, or he should be former drug dealer, and he's got a fascinating story about how uh, Jesus Christ transformed his life. So without any further ado, I'm going to invite up Jay Mariner, so why don't we give him a round of applause and hand up. To be honest, I was about to say, uh, last night I was, uh, I was awake I was thinking of uh, coming here today, our title, because of, I was really aware as I laid awake last night, is that many of you come from a total different background to me. How do I say it? What do I say? But I was really mindful, um, is this story, probably about my life really, is about what God has done. So let me start here in a way. I suppose to get here to being here this afternoon, we started when I was about uh, a year old. Um, me and my twin brother were found in a flat, uh, Kevin and Jason Mariner. Landlord comes down uh, the stairs, hears two babies crying in the corner, um, kicks the door open, and there we was. We went into uh, a foster family called, um, called a Mariner. Oh, don't pull it off. Called the Mariner family. Uh, the Mariner family uh, were kids from uh, different backgrounds sharing the same story called broken lives. I remember my foster brother Winston, he had a big scar down his face and before school he had to put makeup on it because his mum threw hot porridge on his face. I learned from uh, those kids. So in my primary school I was um, always naughty. And when I was young, I used to get the cane. So I used to run to my headmaster's office before he'd come over, pull his drawer open and nick all his mojos. (laughs) When I went to my secondary school, my behaviour didn't change at all. I got suspended three times. And in the end, I got expelled for burning down the science lab. But when I left, there was one teacher... One teacher in that school who really, really liked me, and I left school with one qualification. What do you think that qualification may be? Ever guess for me? Science. Science, thank you. I love that. A lot of confidence there. A lot. Come back. Uh, what do you think it may be? Uh, gym. Gym? I say art. Art. Someone else? English. English. RE. RE. When I left school, I left with one qualification which was a D in pottery. (laughs) That's what I left school with, honestly. Walking home from school, down the alley, going home to my mum, with just this pot to show for all those years of education. And I'm walking down that road, and I thought to myself, when my mum gets in, she's going to kill me. What does she do when I get in? She absolutely killed me. I see one of my friends, he said, Jay, what are you doing? He said, I've just been thrown out of school. I said, Dave, what have you been doing? He said, I've just been thrown out of school. And he said, let's go working for my dad, who went working on a building site. But at that time, 
It was the rave scene, 1989. And all of a sudden there was uh, thousands of people down on the field raving. I had my black friends and my white friends and we grew up at a time when racial, racial tensions were about national front, there ain't no black in the Union Jack. We used to fight the skinheads, they used to fight us. All of a sudden the rave scene come about and there was probably about 30,000, something 60,000 people on a massive field run at N25 raving. And I remember being at a rave one morning, it's probably about uh, all night, uh, it's about four in the morning, and someone walked past me, and they had a bucket in his hand, and a bucket in his hand, and they were just saying this, pills, puff, pills, puff, pills, puff, bucket of ecstasy pills, a bucket of puff. I looked at in buckets, and I thought to myself, there's money to be made here. So I went selling drugs uh, for a number of years, uh, to one morning, I was in the uh, Ministry of Sound and I had uh, 40 ecstasy pills in this pocket and, 80, and eight under pad, uh, 40 pills, 800 pounds in this pocket and all of a sudden I felt this. Both these arms go up and there was a bounce of this side and there was a bounce of that side and they walked me to the back of that club and I got arrested what surprised me, what used to happen back in the day is that bouncers used to just take your drugs, take your money, give you a slap and throw you out. But it was a time when it was the first high profile death of an individual called Leah Betts. I went to Inner London Clan Court probably about six months later and they put, for some reason, they put a pub opposite the court, uh, the, uh, the courtroom so you can have your last pint and look at yourself back and get weighed off. And I looked at this jowl of my pint of Stella and I said to my wife, oh, don't think I can do this. I went and I got four years. I remember that first night being uh, in Belmarsh, it's, just, it's, it's I don't know, a quarter of this, this plastic thing, it's really steamy and they call it the pen where you get processed. And I thought I've got four years of this. About uh, a year into my sentence, not even that, probably about six months, I remember sitting on my bed in my cell in Belmarsh and I said, if there's a God out there, if there is a God, you owe me. If there's a God, you owe me. I haven't killed no one. I haven't broken into no one's house. I haven't robbed anyone. I give my seat up to old ladies on a bus and I wear my poppy on a poppy day. All I am is a good, honest drug dealer. <laughs> I meant it. I was really, really angry. I didn't learn anything in jail uh, at all. I came out of jail... And I got involved with uh, some villains. I got involved uh, in importation, bringing in keys of drugs into the, uh, into the UK. I worked with a villain. He said this to me, Jay. I always remember, if you're willing to play, you've got to be willing to pay. I learned uh, uh, a racket. Um, I used to give my wife carrier bags of like 30 grand and 40 grand. And my wife used to 
counting it upstairs with my girlfriend there, wise and been watching EastEnders. I was an EastEnders fan there. What, what's going to happen with Grant Mitchell? I was watching my EastEnders. I was on a high. I lost all that money. I was doing lots of uh, cocaine. Why? Because I was just selling at Keys to Cope. I was doing, uh, I don't know, taking some off at 95%. So I was doing coke probably about 11 o'clock in the morning. My wife, uh, my girlfriend now, is driving her to distraction. What she done, she selfishly went to a small evangelical free church and goes and gets saved. <laughs> she becomes a Christian. All of a sudden, uh, about a week later, there's a knock on my door and this pastor comes past my toes and turns my TV off EastEnders. Yeah, I know. You can't turn off EastEnders. That's what I thought. No. And he tells me about Jesus. He's telling me about Jesus and I thought to myself, well, I said to him, do me a favour, fella, after 10 minutes, you're either going to leave from my front room window or I'm going to roll you up and I'm going to post you through my letterbox. I thought to myself, it's my house. I can bust him up I can throw him out. He kept telling me about Jesus. I thought to myself, this bloke's either really, really stupid, he don't get it, get it, or knowing my luck, he's something like a black belt in karate. <laughs> I'll attack him and I'll get bent up and buckled up by some pastor and I have to tell my friends. He leaves and it's about two weeks later, uh, there's another knock on my door and literally, honestly, I can't believe it, knock, knock, knock. And there was a group of about 10 Christians and they scurried, <laughs> literally scurried over my toes, went in my front room, turned my TV off again, got these Bibles out and squashed me into this Bible study. I was sitting there and I said to myself, I can't believe this. So what am I doing here? Right, it's just doing my head in, loads of Christians in here. Got a Bible bash me now. And they went to uh, the Bible, and they opened up in the Bible, the letter of the Romans, and they uh, was moving through the text, and they read this verse on your sheet. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as those words were read, I knew it was about me. For all have sinned, and for all fall short of the glory of God. And I was reading for the Bible, and I covered and reading, and they said, for the ways of sin is death. So I tweaked that because of my life, and the way that I lived it, uh, that I fall short of God's glory. And it says, but the ways of sin is death. I'd had a wife, who'd been a Christian for a few months now, and she'd already been telling me about God, the gospel, and hell. For the ways of sin is death. And I knew that was about hell. And I read on, it said, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In that Bible study, they explained to me about Jesus and the gospel. Honestly, the next morning I phoned my mates up and I don't care what anyone says, and I'm not just saying it because of you lot here, I phoned my boys up in the morning. I said, Nick, honestly, I said, I've just been this weird thing called a Bible study. Don't laugh. And I've just heard the word of God read. 
and it was like the Bible was alive. It was like it was alive. Nick, I can't put my, I can't put my finger on it. This Bible, this book, it spoke about my life. It made sense, honestly. Everything what we're trying to do and we speak about, it really made sense. The next morning, I got on my knees and I thought, I needed Jesus in my life. I fell on my knees and I sort of said, God, come into my life. I prayed. I got up and I thought to myself, I was waiting for a eureka moment. I thought I was going to be this super Christian. I wrote these things down on the wall. I'm going to stop taking drugs here. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing it for March. I was doing it by September. I kept on going past all these months and nothing had changed. I was still drinking. I was going to church. I was nice people. Sometimes the Christians would come around my house. I had uh, my son there called Caleb. And the Christians would get out of the car. I said, turn the TV off quickly. Close the curtains behind the door. I said, say to Caleb, shh. I said, knock my door. And I said, think. But sometimes Julie would be in and knock my door. She'd come down the stairs, let me in. I'd be like, yes. I'd be like, yeah, come in. <laughs> come in. And I remember one morning, I was, uh, came in from being uh, uh, out all night. And I looked at my wife, who was really, really patient with me. Well, my uh, girlfriend, who's going to uh, girlfriend then. And I looked at her, and I can see the disappointment in her eyes. And I looked at her, and I said to her, "What do you expect of me?" I said, "I'm not like the Christians that you go to church with, or grown up uh, in homes where dads there." I've never ever looked into the eyes of my of my dad. I don't know who he is. They haven't grown up in care. They haven't lived my life. I said, what I do in my background is who I am. What do you expect from me? Jason Mariner is who I am. I can't do this. And not audible, I remember as I said those words, I, I heard God say in my heart, guess what you muppet, you can't do it. Why? Because Jesus has already done it. And honestly, from that point, it twigged. Boom. I get it. It's a gospel. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Trust and have faith. And from that point, what I've done, I... I plugged myself into a church, a Bible teaching church. I didn't really understand all the gospel and these big theological words, but I said to myself, I don't know God. God, you're making these big claims for yourself. What I'm going to do, I'm going to trust in this thing called Jesus, uh, in the gospel, and I'm going to go to church. And I had this person called John Cowan. What he done? He just read the Bible to me. He just taught me the Bible, taught me about Jesus. Mark's gospel, he read it to me. Taught me the Bible. And as I read the Bible more, I met with God in the Bible. And I'm not just saying it, and honestly, I'm not just saying it because anyone's here right now. I'm going to leave, I don't know, in about 20 minutes time. I probably won't leave, see most of you again. I'm not just saying that for saying it because I've got to give a talk. But as I read the Bible and John talked to me, I met with Jesus. I honestly met with Jesus 
and he changed my life. My list of trying to do it myself, in trusting in Jesus, he changed my life. And guess what? It, it wasn't easy. Sometimes, I, I, I had five things in my hand as well, like I had to give up, I've got to stop doing this, I've got to change this, it was tough. But I knew that God, I knew that I had to give it to God. And from that point of reading the Bible and going to church, I got married to my wife. Uh, um, she said to me this day, she said, Jay, I'm really glad that God saved you because I was about to boot you out, she said. Yeah. I was going to get rid of you. She's <laughs> just going to boot me out. I came to faith and my pastor, he said two things. He said, Jay, the way you win him is the way you keep him, meaning you come to faith. Church wasn't really impressive. The worship wasn't great. But guess what? You had individuals who taught you the Bible, told you about Jesus. And he said to me, Jay, you're either going to be a really watery Christian, a bit flaky, or you're going to be on fire for Jesus. And I thought to myself, if I was hardcore on the street, I'm going to try and love Jesus as much as I can. And I've seen Jesus totally transform my life. And I was down uh, on holiday with my wife, uh, Judy, in Devon. And I remember sitting there, and I was trying to work out life in Jesus. And I said to uh, my wife, I said, you know, one day... I said, we need to go back into Brixton to plant a church. And she said to me, why? Because I said, I've just seen the way that God has gracefully changed my life. Is that this God has sent his son to die on a cross where Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, took my sin, my past upon him so that I can be set free. And this God has been so patient, so kind and so faithful. And I want him to be known in other people's lives. And guess what, Jason Murray? You know the way that you was broken and the way that you broke lives for selling drugs. There's only one person who's going to fix this mess and that's Jesus and the gospel. Our boys are free falling for the criminal justice system. Our community is absolutely littered with Jason Mariners. Our families are broken. And I want to tell people about Jesus. My story and my background is the same as many as uh, the backgrounds of friends I know who come from middle class families. Dad who works hard in the city trying to make his money, feeling the pressure, drinks too much, goes home, hit little Jimmy. It's a broken life, it's a broken world. So I went into Brixton, I passed a church, and I Brixton local church, and I told people about Jesus. And I'm not saying it, and I really mean it. I've, I'm so happy, and I have so much joy in my life, even despite I have seven children. I have Hope Tia, who's seven now. She needs another op- uh, surgery soon, over open heart surgery. And on the operation table, we may lose her in uh, a few months' time. I weep, I cry, but in our sadness, said Mary, and this is my dear wife, we suffer, but we so love Jesus. I see Jesus changing my life, my wife's life, Malachi, my son, Keisha, Maya, Hotia, Reuben, all of us as Mariner family. I see Jesus changing the life of the Noxes, the Foms, all of us as a church family. And I know that 
for my life being ill. I'm not just saying it. It's now 25 to uh, 2. And it's the 26th. Most of you will not see me again. But I know categorically, I'm not even just saying it, in God's sovereignty, he wants me here right now to tell you about Jesus. He's amazing. He's real. And he does change lives. I have no more to say. It's all about what Jesus has done.